The Gospel reading this evening is taken from Mark's Gospel and chapter 6, reading verses 45 to 52. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. This uh, reading follows on immediately from the passage we were looking at this morning of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it's I, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. O Lord, we have read your word and heard the things which you caused to be written long ago and the things which Jesus did for his disciples. And we also are amazed. Come touch our hearts afraid uh, again. Fill us with courage, knowing that the Lord is with us and with us to bless us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When I first looked at the scripture readings for this evening, I was planning to preach on the Gospel reading until I realised that that is the passage that Anita will be looking at next Sunday morning, though from John's Gospel and not from Mark. So the um, draft sermon I wrote out I shall leave to another occasion and perhaps another place. <laughs> oh yes. So I looked then at this wonderful psalm, and it really is wonderful, and it's done me good looking at it in preparation. I trust it does us good this evening. This psalm opens with a brief personal testimony to what the psalmist has discovered of God through his personal experience. Verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. The Lord is good. 
Now the word here that's used for good, I'm not going to give you a Hebrew lesson tonight, so don't worry. But the word used is not so much a word for moral goodness, saying that God is holy and just, though all that is true of God. It's a word for experienced goodness, such as when you might pick up a peach from your fruit bowl and bite into it and think, gosh, that's good. Or perhaps when you've been to a jazz concert, if that's your liking, or some other concert, and you come home saying to others, that was good. That's the sense here. The psalmist has experienced that God is good. God has done him good. God has filled him with joy. God has blessed him. God has lifted his spirits. God has given him delight and has pleased him. God is good. The psalmist, if I can take some words from another psalm, has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He has discovered that the very best thing in life is knowing God. Have you discovered that God is good? Yes. I'm thankful for that response. Yes, we have. God is good. The Lord's love, he says, endures forever. And here again, the word used for love is a, is a very difficult word to translate into English. Perhaps because in English, the word love is so impoverished. Human love so often breaks down, so often proves a disappointment. But this word, love, is variously translated, I looked at it in English translations, as kindness, loving kindness, I like that word, loving kindness, mercy, faithful love, steadfast love, gracious love, loyal love. That just reflects the way in which it's hard to express in a single English word. It's the word for God's covenant love for his people. That love he has for them by which he takes hold of them and embraces them and makes them his own and will not let them go. It's love which says, I am your God and you are my people. It's a love which does not fail, even when God's people fail. If you've been following our readings through the Old Testament, remember the book of Hosea. A picture of how our love for God sometimes fails, and we are faithless. But God's love never fails. His love, says the psalmist here, endures forever. It's a love that is gracious and kind and forgiving and holds no record of wrongs. It's the love we find described in 1 Corinthians 13 and which we see preeminently in the Lord Jesus Christ. This love never ceases. The psalmist might have added, 
His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And this is something also that he has discovered of God in the way that God has dealt with him in all the various circumstances of his own life. Sometimes he has been filled with a sense of love for God, full of passion for God. Other times maybe not so. His heart has grown cold. Maybe at times he's even been resentful towards God. But God's love for him has never failed. It's held him fast. God never failed to hold fast his people, Israel, through all their faithlessness. If I can quote another inspired writer, this is William Shakespeare, Sonnet 116. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds. Love alters not with times, brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. Well, God's love goes beyond the edge of doom. It lasts forever. It endures forever. This is the conviction expressed also by the Apostle Paul in those wonderful verses at the end of Romans 8. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the psalmist's testimony. His love endures forever to the end of my life and beyond that forever. And these things which he has found concerning God, he wants to be the testimony of all God's people. And he invites the rest of God's people to come forward with their own testimony. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say this, or tell their story, as it was in the um, uh, version that Mike read to us. Those he's redeemed from the hand of the foe. He calls upon God's redeemed people to tell their own story of what God has done for them. And then this psalm gives some examples of some of the testimonies of God's people. Verses 4 to 9 tell the story of people who've wandered in a desert. They've been hungry and they've been thirsty and they've been in threat, in danger of death. And they've cried to the Lord in their distress and he's come to their aid. I'm sure the psalmist was thinking of the children of Israel in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They were wandering for those 40 years in the wilderness because they had been disobedient to God. But God's love towards them did not cease. They were hungry and they cried out to God. In fact, if you look at their cry, it wasn't a humble prayer. It was a complaint. And yet, 
God had mercy on them and fed them with bread from heaven and with quail when they got fed up with that bread. When they were thirsty, they cried out to the Lord. Again, a cry of complaint. But God satisfied their thirst with water from a rock. Eventually, he led them on to that land he had promised them. A land flowing with milk and honey. His love endures forever. Let them give thanks, says the psalmist, for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. It's a refrain that occurs again and again through this psalm. God's love never fails. That's what his people have discovered. And this repeated testimony is then concluded with a summary of the testimony of the previous verses. In this case, verses 8 and 9. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. I love that word, satisfies. It expresses the fact that we need nothing else and we can long for nothing else. Because God himself has satisfied us. And tonight, this sense of thanksgiving surely is echoed in our own hearts as we come in a little while to break bread and drink wine to remember all that Christ has done for us. He who spoke of himself as the bread of life and as living water, who has given himself for us. He's the one in whom we find the fulfilment of this section of the psalm. And he is the one who satisfies the hungry soul and the thirsty spirit. Are you satisfied with Christ this evening? Verses 10 to 16 go on to speak of prisoners chained in darkness and forced into back-breaking labour as a result of their rebellion against God. They got themselves into that place. They deserved their fate. Should they not have been left in darkness? But when they cried out to the Lord... He broke their chains and brought them out of darkness into light. As I was preparing this message on Psalm 107, I was struck by some words from Bible Society's magazine, Word in Action. Their chief executive, Paul Williams, wrote this. He says, I was powerfully impacted by my experience of visiting prisoners in Guatemala, in a maximum security prison for ex-gang members. These were prisoners who'd been involved in drug-connected violent crime, who had very little freedom, and yet, because of the work of Bible society, there was an inner freedom 
that they had discovered in encountering God through the scriptures. I think our prison work abroad and in this country is remarkable in that the gospel is an incredibly liberating message, even for those who are in prison. Psalm 107. That's what I was preparing when I read this. Psalm 107 is a wonderful psalm about those who were cast in gloom and imprisoned and how God's presence and the word brings liberation. We want to see people whose lives have led them to suffer external restriction to their freedom, being in a position to encounter an enormous inner freedom through the scriptures, which will then work its way out into every aspect of their lives. Amen to that? Amen. But we too, we don't have to have been drug, drug cartel members. We too can identify with the words of this psalm, can't we? And of this section of the psalm. Think of Charles Wesley's great hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin, and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Jesus has broken down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron to set us free from the cruel imprisonment to sin and death. We cannot but praise him for his unfailing love and the wonderful things that he's done for us. I'd love to spend more time on all these other sections, but I'm going to skim through them very quickly. Verses 17 to 22 speak of those who suffered from deadly sickness and called on the Lord to help. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. And we know that the Lord Jesus is the one who healed the sick and saved many from death, who even raised the dead to life and who by his own resurrection from the dead broke the power of death and gives us life. Life which, like the love of God, lasts forever. Verses 23 to 32 recount the experience of those in peril on the sea. They cried to the Lord in their distress and the Lord rescued them. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. That's the gospel reading we've read, isn't it? Jesus is the one who came alongside his terrified disciples, who calmed the storm, brought them safely to their destination. And he is the one who continues to quieten the hearts of terrified disciples today. His love never fails. He is the same 
yesterday, today and forever. And so I think the psalmist would say to us, now it's over to you. You tell your story. We also have a story to tell. We are a people who've been redeemed by the Lord from sin, death, darkness and despair. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, says the psalmist in verse 2. We should rejoice in being able to tell our story of what the Lord has done for us, not just here as we sing hymns together and praise God together, but when we talk to our friends and see people in the street and tell them the things that God has done for us. If we were often to tell our story, would not many others come to trust in our wonderful Saviour also? Time does not permit me to tell you the details of my story. You're probably thankful for that. But as I thought, how would I tell my story? I wanted just to pick out two things. I've learned to be able to face failure. And I think that's a big one for me. Failure not just of myself, but failure of others on whom I had depended. And I've learned to be able to face failure without being discouraged. Well, I am discouraged for a time, I must admit but without being permanently discouraged because I recognise that that is my condition and the human condition but that where we have failed Christ has triumphed. And that's not to excuse our sin but it is to know that at the end Christ will turn all our failures into his victory and one day this poor broken world will be made new and there will be no more tears and no more sighing and no more sadness for all those old things will have gone. Failure may seem so big at the moment but it will seem small in that day and the other thing I've learned is not to fear death. I do not fear death. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. Having had heart problems and been in hospital where my heart stopped twice, I have learned what it is like to die. And I thought to myself at the time, well, if this is what it's like, it's really not so bad. And I have Christ before me, whose love endures forever. Now my death, when it comes, may not be like that. It may be painful. But I do not fear death, for I know that in life and in death, I belong to Christ. And he will not let me go. Well, that's just a little of my testimony.
But I want to challenge you all this evening. How will you, how do you tell your story? Perhaps even you'll be challenged to tell one another at the end of the evening. To turn and tell one another something of what you have found in your experience about how God has dealt with you and to testify to his goodness and unfailing love. May God help us to do so.